You're listening to Wide Margins, episode 49, Jacob's Death. I think from the title of the episode, you could guess that this is the last episode in our series on Jacob uh, called Favored Cheat. It's been an enjoyable series for me. I'm ready to get, though, into some other territory, into some individual episodes and some interviews and conversations with people that I've been planning for a while. So uh, it's good to bring it to a close, although I feel like we've been living with Jacob, feel like we've really gotten to know him. And uh, this episode on death, well, I mean, it, it happens, but it's not really the cheeriest of farewells here as we say goodbye to Jacob. It's not as dismal a view of death, though, as you might get, say, from a book like Ecclesiastes. You read the book of Ecclesiastes, you get a very dismal view of death. And there's good reason for that. Solomon is giving a perspective in the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, a particular perspective on what life is like if you live it, his phrase is, under the sun, meaning without knowledge of the supernatural, without any transcendence, without any uh, realization or perception of God or life beyond the grave. And so you have passages like Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verses 4 and following, which says, A living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished, and forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. That's pretty depressing, but you have to remember Solomon is working under this heading vanity of life under the sun, and he works towards a conclusion at the end of the book that if you fear God and keep his commandments, that can make you whole, that can bring you fulfillment and satisfaction. So it it ends in a better place, but that's one view of death that we need to come to grips with. Another view of death comes to us as we look at the close of the life of Jacob, and you see a very different treatment there. Uh, You see a lot of respect shown to the dead, and it's illustrated in a couple of ways in Jacob's story that I think would make a good and fitting conclusion to our series. Uh, The first first way that you see respect being shown to the dead, Jacob in particular, is honoring his last wishes. Uh, Jacob had this one last request that he expressed in a kind of last will and testament to his sons, and the request was that he would be buried in the land of his father. Fathers, excuse me. Uh, He stated these last wishes first to Joseph in Genesis chapter 47, and uh, we'll we'll read that as we begin. Genesis chapter 47, I'm trying to find the place. Uh, Verse 29 is where we'll begin. When the time drew near that Israel, that's Jacob, must die, he called his son Joseph and said to him, If now I have found favor in your sight, put your hand under my thigh and promise to deal kindly and truly with me. Do not bury me in Egypt. but Let me lie with my fathers, carry me out of Egypt, and bury me in their burial place. Joseph answered, I will do as you have said. And he said, Swear to me. And he swore to him. Then Israel bowed himself upon the head of his bed. That's the first time that he made this request. 
And then after he blessed his 12 sons, he repeats the request over in Genesis chapter 49. And uh, this begins at about verse 29 of Genesis chapter 49. Then he commanded them and said to them, I am to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field at Machpelah, to the east of Mamre in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with the field from Ephron the Hittite, to possess as a burying place. There they buried Abraham and Sarah his wife. There they buried Isaac and Rebekah his wife. And there I buried Leah, the field and the cave that is in it, were bought from the Hittites. And when Jacob finished commanding his sons, he drew up his feet into the bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. That's the second time he made the request. And then finally, after he died, Joseph reiterated the request to Pharaoh in chapter 50, verse 5, which I won't take the time to, to read because we've already pretty much seen it twice. So, Jacob's been very clear about this. This is something that he really wants done. He wants he doesn't want to be buried among the pharaohs, even among the most dignified people in Egypt. He wants to be buried back in his homeland in that cave in Machpelah, purchased first by Abraham on behalf of his wife Sarah and most everybody except for Rachel important to this family has been laid to rest in this tomb. Uh, now, if you think about where they were down in Egypt and how far away that is from, from Canaan, especially according to the means of transportation they had available to them in those days, this was not a very easy request. I mean, it would have been difficult to follow through with Jacob's wishes. Uh, Pharaoh, for his part, complied with a lot of enthusiasm. Uh, Joseph went, the text says in Genesis 50, with all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his household, and all the elders of the land of Egypt, as well as all the household of Joseph, his brothers, and his father's household. So Pharaoh was doing this, and if you look at the parallel account of this in Josephus's histories, uh, Josephus says that all of this was done at great expense. And you would imagine that it would have been. I mean, it takes a lot of money and resources to move that larger group of people across that much land in those days. Uh, the phrase beyond the Jordan is used here, and it's usually used in the Old Testament as if the author is writing from the perspective of within the promised land. So as if he was writing from a position between the Great Sea and the Jordan River, which would have been, you know, where Israel is today. So beyond the Jordan would indicate territory east of the Jordan River. And if you think about that, you put a little map in your head of what's going on there, that means they didn't just make a beeline straight from Egypt north through the southern part of Canaan. Instead of doing that, Joseph led the procession for his father's funeral on kind of a circuitous route around the area and east of the Jordan and then crossing the Jordan probably at the point where, say, Joshua would later cross the territory to go in and conquer the, the Promised Land. And who knows why he did that? Joseph must have had good reasons for it. They're unknown to us now. But the point is that Jacob's sons went to a lot of trouble to fulfill his wishes. And this was after he was dead. I mean, they could have just said, hey, 
Dad's dead. He's not going to know. Just like Solomon said in the book of Ecclesiastes, the dead know nothing. What he means is they know nothing under the sun. I don't think he means they lose their consciousness. They have a consciousness in the afterlife. But they, but Jacob wouldn't have known if his sons had disrespected his wishes. But he was dead, and they, they kept their promise. They showed him respect by fulfilling his last will and testament. And that seems like a good model to follow. Our loved ones make all kinds of requests prior to their death if they see it coming. And this is a very common thing. It may be something medical like a do not resuscitate order. I've been with families through times where they have to respect that. That is not a very easy thing to do. Although, you know, due to legalities, they don't have a whole lot of choice. But to respect it... um, in other cases, when a will is involved, it may have to do with the disbursement of assets. Sometimes people will leave instructions regarding funeral arrangements. They may say what kind of songs they want, uh, how the songs are to be sung, or should recorded music be playing, or who should speak. And a lot of times the families don't necessarily agree with the arrangements, but they respect them in order to fulfill the wishes of their deceased loved one. Uh, it may have to do with the place of burial or whether it's a burial or a cremation. It may have some off-the-wall request. It may have to do with some off-the-wall request that you don't see coming. Something from way out of left field, you know, deliver this item to this long-lost relative of mine that lives up in Montana somewhere. You, you don't know. It, it could be anything, but fulfilling these last wishes is a way of showing respect to the dead. And for all their faults and all the problems that they had, we can appreciate Jacob's sons in this regard, that they went to a lot of trouble to fulfill their father's last request. Now, before we move on to the other way they showed respect to him, I think it's interesting to compare Jacob's last wishes with the last wishes of Joseph. They're similar, but they're not exactly the same. Uh, so Jacob, let's look at his again. His central desire seems to have something to do with the burial. I'll go back and read uh, chapter 49, verses 29 and following. He says, I am to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field of Machpelah, to the east of Mamre in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with the field from Ephron the Hittite to possess as a burying place. So all these instructions and about the burial place and its location. He points out that they buried Abraham and Sarah there. Isaac and Rebekah are buried there. He says, I buried Leah, his first wife. The field and the cave that is in it were bought from the Hittites. And then when he finished, he breathed his last and was gathered to his people. So all of those instructions seem to have the central desire of the place of burial and instructions regarding the burial. And somebody may say, no, he's thinking about heaven. He says he's about to be gathered to his people. But that phrase, gathered to my people, it's very common in the Old Testament. If you study it, the meaning has to be determined by the context. Sometimes it does have to do with being gathered to your to the souls of the loved ones that have passed on before you in the afterlife. 
And then other times it just simply has to do with where your bones are being gathered together. The Jews would bury families in the same tomb. And if you can picture it, you can think of a cave or, or a tomb that's hewn into a rock and shelves are carved into the sides of this tomb where the bodies are laid and you know later maybe even the bones are gathered together and put into an ossuary box or something like that and so very literally physically the dead bodies of families were gathered together and that's the the way Jacob seems to be using the phrase here not necessarily in the sense of the afterlife although it's used that way in other places as you read the, read it throughout the Old Testament so Jacob's central desire has to do with his burial now compare that with Joseph when he's leaving his last wishes his son Joseph seems to have at heart the covenant instead of the burial and you can see this in Genesis chapter 50 verses 24 and following uh, which describes Joseph's last days he said to his brothers I'm about to die but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land he swore to Abraham to Isaac and to Jacob then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear saying God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones from here so Joseph died being 110 years old they embalmed him and he was put in a coffin in Egypt those are the last words by the way of the book of Genesis and they conclude with the covenant uh, that's the central concern of Joseph as he's about to go to his own death uh, it's about the promise God made to Abraham and then to Isaac and Jacob passed on down through his family he even makes a little prophecy here about the exodus from from Egypt so you see that reflected in Hebrews chapter 11 that chapter of the Bible we call the Hall of Faith only Joseph is commended for his burial instructions despite the fact they're almost the same instructions as his father's Jacob was commended for blessing his sons and bowing in worship on his deathbed Hebrews 11:21 says by faith Jacob when dying blessed each of the sons of Joseph bowing in worship over the head of his staff but of Joseph it said by faith Joseph at the end of his life made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones it seems like the reason for that commendation in in Joseph's case is that he connected the burial instructions to the covenant which was so important to Abraham's family and later to all of us because it yielded the Messiah the Christ who is the only hope for all humanity it blessed all the nations of the earth so the first example of respecting the dead that we find here at the end of Jacob's life is respecting his wishes his last wishes regarding where he was to be buried and his sons did that in a very honorable way now this the second is related to it but the second way that they respected his wishes is through the funeral that they gave for their father Jacob Jacob's funeral was this grand affair Joseph uh, starts the process commanding the physicians to embalm his father and this is something they did in Egypt which they didn't do 
among the Israelites. And maybe he commanded that because of the long journey they were going on, but I think it's also because much of Joseph's life was spent in Egypt, and they were in Egypt, and that's what the, you, you did in Egyptian culture. And so maybe it was just done out of custom. It was the way the Egyptians showed respect. Which, by the way, have you ever seen an Egyptian mummy? Maybe you've had an opportunity to look at one of those in a museum. I have seen more than one. I can't recall their names. Uh, I should be able to. I can't even pronounce their names, so uh, let alone recall them. But it just makes me wonder that if we could find this cave in Machpelah, would we be able to find the mummies of Jacob and Joseph? Perhaps. That's an interesting thing to think about. But they mummified, they embalmed the body of Jacob according to the, the uh, request of Joseph. And then before the family left for Canaan, there was a period of mourning. Verse 3 of Genesis 50 says that 40 days were required for it. For that is how many are required for embalming. And the Egyptians wept for him, for Jacob, 70 days. Now, this is an Egyptian influence again. The mourning of the ancient Hebrews was usually seven days in continuance. On certain occasions, it was extended to 30 days, never longer than that. Seventy days mourning was an Egyptian concept. It was necessary partly because of the long process of embalming, which required them to keep the body out of the grave for 70 days. There's some reference to that in uh, Herodotus and some other ancient histories. But seven days was the time the law of Moses allowed for mourning because during that time, those who attended to the body of the deceased were considered unclean, and so they would prepare the body and be unclean for seven days, and then after those days, they could purify themselves, and the mourning was considered ending. That's according to the law of Moses. So they embalmed the body of Jacob, mourned him for 70 days, and then after that, and only after that, a great company traveled in a large procession to the place of burial, which would have been something like 300 miles journey. And this journey is described in Genesis 50, verse 7. Joseph went up to bury his father. With him went up all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his household, and all the elders of the land of Egypt, as well as all the household of Joseph, his brothers, and his father's household. Only their children, their flocks, and their herds were left in the land of Goshen. And there went up with him both chariots and horsemen, and it was a very great company. The procession then arrives at the threshing floor of Atad, uh, which is beyond the Jordan. And if you remember what we talked about a minute ago, that means east of Jordan, still not in Canaan. And they spent there another seven days mourning Jacob with a very great and grievous lamentation. The mourning even got the attention of the Canaanites in the area. Now, keep in mind, at this point, we're three months past the death of Jacob. So, they've been at this a long time. And to understand that, you have to consider the customs of ancient people. They, they were different than our customs. And a lot of the mourning and lamentation was not necessarily a natural grieving 
that they couldn't help. It was it was just the way they did things. And you might say, well, that was all for show and it's superficial. But you have to understand, according to their customs, it was disrespectful not to do this. It was their way of showing respect for the dead. It reminds me of a story in the life of Jesus when he came to the home of Jairus, whose daughter lay dead in an upper room. And Jesus comes in and he sees this commotion. People are weeping and wailing. And he says, why are you making a commotion and weeping? He says, the child is not dead, but sleeping. And immediately they go from this weeping and commotion and lamentation to laughing. Hysterical laughter, just in a in a moment, they switch from one to the other. And so it wasn't sincere grieving. These were maybe professional mourners that had been hired by Jairus's family to put on a respectful, customary funeral service on behalf of his daughter or a wake or something like that. It was customary. So that's what was going on here for three months on behalf of Jacob. Um, it was not necessarily a, a natural reaction. It's kind of like the embalming. It was another part of the ritual. But finally, the, profe- the procession arrives at the field of Machpelah. They laid Jacob in the cave that Abraham bought as a burying place for Sarah. Jacob referred to this tomb that he had hewn out for himself. He's probably referring to the shelf upon which his body was to be laid, not the whole tomb itself. And uh, you think about it, it's just amazing to think Abraham's bones were there, Sarah's bones were there, Isaac and Rebekah and Leah's bones were there, and now Jacob's, and only Rachel was left out. So they go through this great procession lasting over three months. They go to a lot of trouble. Now, is, is all of that really necessary? You know, like Jacob, we have our death rituals. We bury our loved ones in expensive cemetery plots. We embalm their bodies. We display them in caskets. We get together with family and friends to remember uh, we celebrate the lives of the dead, we, we play music, we share memories, we turn to the Bible for prayer and for comfort. Why do we do all these things? You know, some people may look at them and say, these are unnecessary, we shouldn't do these things, but they're a very important part of the grieving process. And as a culture, we have learned certain things help us help us know what to do next and and give us something to do and help us deal with this really difficult tragedy. And it's interesting as you go from region to region, just even within the same country, how the customs are different, but how they all have customs. Uh, I grew up in Texas, and I went to college in Tennessee, and I live in Alabama now, and even from those places which all you know, people would call those all a part of the South. They're very similar. Texas is a lot different from Tennessee and Alabama, but even between those three states, I've noticed very different burial customs. I remember when my grandmother died, my my grandfather wanted to sit up with the body all night. That's something that he did growing up, and you don't see that done in Alabama. Maybe it's not done anywhere nowadays, We've really shortened the grieving process. We went from uh, 
just within my time of being a minister, I've been working as a minister for about 20 years now, and even within my time, I've seen a change from visitations, you know, the night before, so basically a two-day process where there's a visitation the night before and the funeral the next day. Nowadays, we are doing it, so we're speeding it up where we'll have the visitation the same day as the funeral, and maybe in many cases just an hour beforehand, and then you'll have the funeral and the burial right after that, of course, and maybe the family gets together for a meal and it's all over. There's nothing wrong with that. I just wonder how compressed this is going to get and why it's being compressed, and I can't help but think that a lot of it has to do with business. Unfortunately, you know, and funeral homes give a great service, nothing against them, but they're thinking profit and they're trying to service as many families as they possibly can. And there are more and more people living on the planet, which means there are more and more people dying on the planet. And so the schedules are, are really crammed together. I, I remember just recently in a case where uh, somebody passed away and I was involved in the, the funeral services. Um, the afternoon and evening, this person passed away. The, the family had to wait on the funeral home because the funeral home was picking up seven bodies that evening. So that's the kind of, um, I'm trying to think of the right word for it. That That's, that's the kind of um, service, let's just stick to that word, the service that they're providing, and it's demanding, it's a scheduling problem, and so we're compressing this together, but we're eventually going to get to the point where it's too compressed, and we don't take enough time, and we don't get the closure that we need, or we don't even have the next step. I've been involved in some cases where, and more than one, where um, a person left instructions that they didn't want a funeral, and they thought they were unburdening their family, when in actuality they were making it very difficult for their family. Because if you have somebody that was a part of your everyday life just vanish away because of death, so suddenly, or even if it's not suddenly, you're just used to them being there all the time, and that happens, what do you do the next day? You just get up and go to work? You just get up and do the same thing you did the next day? Uh, you don't have any way to say goodbye? You don't have any formal ritual? You're lost, and you just have this strange feeling that the person didn't really leave, didn't die, but they just abandoned you or just disappeared? Now, this happened in one particular case with a lady from church several years ago, and her friends, uh, they had a very difficult time accepting what had happened to her. They Intellectually, they knew what happened to her, but emotionally, they just they couldn't deal with it. It was like, She'd been abducted by aliens or something. She just Because she didn't die in an expected fashion. It was just one day she was here and the next day she was gone. And uh, she had asked her family, no funeral, don't have a memorial service, don't do anything. And so she just, she just disappeared. And the family, they had a little time with her. And 
were involved in the business of, you know, a burial or, or something. I think she might have been cremated. So they had that. They had some steps to take, but her friends didn't have any steps that they could take. And those are necessary because, you know, this grieving process, these rituals, they help us move forward in those first difficult days. They give us something that we can do. And not only that, we do it together, right? We, we get drawn closer together to our loved ones who support us, and it helps bring closure. But if all we're doing is just trying to preserve a body, these rituals are done in vain. You can preserve a memory, but you can't preserve the body. God tells us, don't worry about the dying bodies. We know that if the tent, which is our earthly home, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. We commit our bodies to the ground, our spirits to God, with hope in the resurrection at the end, when the body even will be redeemed. And so, that brings Jacob's life to a close. His sons respected his final wishes and sent him off with a tribute in the form of this procession and funeral and laid his bones next to the bones of his father and his grandfather and his mother and his first wife, Leah. And we see this great life come to a close. We've watched God transform him from cheat to faithful follower Worshipping the Lord in his final days, Jacob was the favored cheat, the blessed deceiver, and even though he didn't deserve it, God gave him a new name and, as we saw, blessed him immeasurably. And really, if you think about it, Jacob's story is the story of every Christian. Paul wrote in Romans 5 verse 8, God chose his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We're all cheats. We're all no-good deceivers who have rebelled against our Father in heaven. But God blessed us anyway, and His grace is our only hope. Thanks for listening through this series. I hope it's been beneficial to you. Continue listening. We have many great things around the corner on Wide Margins.